0: Uh, Hey Mark, how you doing? Man, this is a little bit easier for me to do it like this because I'm not uh, the most avid speed typer in the world. Uh, I hope this isn't too blown out for you. Maybe you have a cool um, voice and typing program or maybe you can just use it like this. It can be more of a, almost more like a vlog or something. Well, sort of. I don't know what the heck that is, but a podcasty type thing. Anyway. Um hey jujitsu time fans you know w- w- how i how i got started in bjj was i was doing karate growing up as a kid um i'd always been of course just like a lot of us in the martial arts world that are in the martial arts world now or back then were watching movies you know so i would watch movies like bruce lee movies jean claude van damme movies Shokasugi movies um and course, that that excites you when you're a kid. I was actually, I really enjoyed watching boxing as a kid. I was in like super enthralled with Vander Holyfield. He was one of my favorite fighters, and I I loved watching boxing uh, even before I started uh, my martial arts training. I started uh, my brother and I, funny enough, started martial arts out of a book. Uh, one summer we decided, uh, well, he, he made the decision for me that I was going to practice with him. And so we started it really out of, the, out of a book in the middle of the summer. And we did it all the time out of a book. And uh, I got into a sort of a minor little altercation at the lunchroom, blocked a bunch of punches, looked, I was like, wow, this stuff really works. And Lo and behold, I uh sought out the uh, nearest karate dojo, which was in you know where I'm from i was I grew up in the country um so i uh the nearest dojo was you know fifteen minutes 20 minute drive and uh, I was only. Uh, just turning, I think, thirteen at the time I was twelve, thirteen at the time. So, you know, my mom had to drive me back and forth a couple times a week, and I started there. And I was, you know, looking back now, I was really lucky that uh, that I went to that particular karate dojo because they were very open-minded, uh, and that really led to later. It led to me watching the UFC. Uh, I was still in high school when a good friend of my brothers brought it over to the house and we watched it on VHS. Um, if that dates me, uh, oh boy, I don't know. If that doesn't date me, I don't know what does. But uh, we, so we watched, yeah, we were watching UFC and I was, I was like, wow, what is this guy? Doing to these people, uh, you know, and I think he fought a karate guy on the first round that I saw. I think on the VHS tape, first round didn't even get aired, but uh, he he fought a karate guy. And I'm like, yeah, this freaking karate guy, he's, he's gonna he's gonna do it, you know, he's awesome. And then boom, it just gets finished like like nobody's business. And uh, I think because my teachers were so open, it allowed me to be. Uh, open as well and go whoa what is that why how does that work like that uh and uh it yeah that that sort of started the the fire of course i think that's a a lot like um the people uh in general all over the world is that especially nowadays is that they see you know ufc or a different type of mma event and one of the other ones and then it just it just sparks a little fire like hey I'd like to try that, you know. So um, I was, uh, I think, 18 at the time I'd seen the UFC. Uh, and I really didn't start jiu-jitsu for a little while after. I started when I was 21. So I had been training karate the whole entire time uh, pretty pretty regularly. Um, meanwhile, playing like a lot of sports in high school and different things like that. So really, I guess what uh, the, the the long of the short is the UFC got me started and jujitsu, you know, I saw a Hoist what he did, and I was amazed. Um, what got me to go where I went in New York—that's um, a—that's a different story, you know. I, I saw Hensel fight on this uh, event called the World Combat Championship. It was in 1995. Uh, he fought three times. I'm sure a lot of you guys have seen it, it's where he, he steps on Ben Spiker's head, and um, for good reason. That's a story I'm sure he he, he could tell you guys. But uh, um, but um, I saw him fight. And where I'm from, you know, I was from stand-up background. And so I, the way he fought to me was different than the way everyone fought uh, up until I'd seen that point. I mean, Hoyce had fought. Hickson was so dominant and so athletic and what a monster. But but Hensel moved differently. He, he was boxing. He was shooting in. And that, to me, um, was a guy that I was like, hey, wow, this guy fights a little differently. Um, and I had heard that he opened a school in New York, uh, actually I saw it in a black belt magazine ad. Um, so, uh, so I went, I, um, that summer later that summer in or summer of 96, I went to, to meet him, and uh, he was such a, a sweet guy. It just made me feel so at home. Uh, I got to watch class, and you know, I, I didn't know who was on the mat. It was Matt Sarah's train, and all these different guys were on the mat train. It was wild. I didn't, I didn't know anybody, um, but uh, I felt such at home, and I liked the energy of the place so much that I said, "Okay, this is where I'm going." I, and at that time, I was considering going to California. Didn't I? Didn't even know what I wanted to do with my life at that time. Uh, but I did know that my heart said, you got to do this and um, you got to try doing jujitsu. It's really what you, you just. So I, I packed up my bags from Indiana and uh, later that year, I, I freaking moved out to, to New York with uh, at then uh, at that time uh, was with uh, my girlfriend. And she had gone with me, but uh uh anyway, not to go down that uh, rabbit hole. But uh but um but yeah, I, I moved out from Indiana, just followed my heart, followed my dream, and and uh and went for it. Um what got me addicted to jujitsu, uh I have a pretty a pretty addictive personality as far as sports go. You know, I I played sports. I was a swimmer. I was an avid swimmer. I I practiced in swimming. I practiced 4 hours a day when we were at our in our our peak, sometimes 6 because I would I would go a good friend of mine and I would go in 2 hours in the morning from 5 to 7 in the morning, go to high school uh, all day long and then we had weight training. Uh, three days a week after school, from uh basically three to five, and then another two-hour swim practice on top of that from five to seven. So, I mean, I was that was when I was as early as twelve years old. I was swimming like that. So, uh, training, training to me was addictive, and training is still addictive to me. Sport is addictive. Um, these things, I just, I just enjoy training. Um, I enjoy uh, learning. Um, I guess more so that I'm addicted more to those things than actually jujitsu. I mean, that jujitsu is my medium uh, because it's the vehicle of which my addiction flows through because I'm really, it's training, it's learning, it's teaching now, Um, but it's the education of Wow I'm continually learning all these new cool things. that's what drives me to watch so much footage. that's what drives me to be who I am um, and that's what why one of the reasons why I enjoy teaching it and giving back so much is uh, because it's addictive that's that's my personality. I'm addicted to learning, I'm addicted to training and then I'm addicted to giving back. So jujitsu just happened to be the vehicle that 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 addiction flowed through you know and I'm I, I think uh, that I'm addicted to something that drives my health up. Uh, rather than you know some of the vehicles that are out there today, so I am I consider myself lucky, and I think that our community is lucky because jujitsu is such an amazing martial art. It really is amazing. I I think if it wasn't jujitsu, you know maybe it would have maybe would have been boxing. I I really like to box and kickbox, but but uh, you know I I don't know I would have had to find a def- another sport. So I, I I guess that's you know what really got me is that jujitsu is so endless. It's yeah, it's like the, I, I always say that it's the highest level of meditation. It's just you focused on what you're doing, and and bettering yourself. So uh, I think that those things are very cool, and we're very fortunate that jujitsu is that that type of vehicle. Who's been the biggest influences on my jujitsu? Um, got five hours, but uh, really, no, li- really, there have been several. Um, of my, the obvious biggest influence uh, in my whole uh, history of jiu-jitsu is it's Hensel Gracie um, you know that guy from day one he he was so welcoming and it's what made me go I just that the atmosphere that he had created at that time was was just amazing and I wanted to be a part of it so I just moved you know like I said I moved from from Indiana to New York, um, so I, it's a given. Henzo's, uh I think that his drive to meet a challenge head on is is something special. His personality and his you know openness to everybody he's ever met is a is a huge uh, influence on me. Um, his kindness, his generosity to not only uh, people who don't know to the sport. I think that that's huge. Um, him going and, and just fighting anyone at any time, and you know always laying it on the line, uh, was uh, uh, very admirable, and uh, he's a huge influence and still is. Um, other other guys, you know, I was so fortunate because my other instructors were, you know, Matt, Sarah, who was a humongous influence on me. We used to train. He, John Danner, and I, you know, he would train with us a uh, tw- couple times a week when we were we, we were more or less. John and I were more or less in the purple belt uh, phase, and and Matt and us uh, would train two times a week like religion, and it would be an uh, this hour long beastly session of us trying to, he would go back to back with us and he would just beat us up. But then, you know, he would, he would guide us too. He, he wasn't just beating us up. He would teach us and he's an incredible teacher. Um, and so, you know, he, he really helped my game significantly because I, you know, he, he, he didn't have to train with me. I was, I was certainly uh, lower level than him, but he, he took, he he took me aside and I I know he did that with several people took him aside, helped their games out and helped them to them grow. And uh he's hilarious. So I you know it's uh, he's an influence more than just jujitsu uh, you know, he's he's a he's a stand up guy. Um and the the has the epitome of uh I guess do the right thing and that's always a good influence when when you have positive people around you. Um, and if you've never been to his school, give a shout out to his school because uh, his school is just—you go in there and you feel so welcome. I've I've been lucky enough to fortunate enough to teach a couple seminars there, and they are just the most positive people. Uh, that that you can can run into. So if you're if you're ever in his area where both his schools are, you gotta go. Uh, just a shout out to his schools. Also, you know Ricardo Almeida was a humongous influence to me. Um, he was one of my teachers, and he I always considered him one of my biggest influencers in, in this sporty game of jujitsu because he was competing uh, a lot in the sport, a lot with the gi. He really liked the gi. Did a lot of lapel stuff that I that sort of got implemented into my game and um so it, it was super cool and it was always super cool to see those guys training together like what battles and how, what high level guys uh to get to emulate so i you know he was a big influencer Rodrigo Gracie was a big influencer like again all these guys are i was so fortunate they're, they're these are my instructors these are the guys that are training with me on a daily basis um it was sort of like the who's who uh, in that, that generation. So I was lucky enough to, to get a train with him. He was a huge influencer on me. You know, I, I remember losing in a tournament because I, I just got nervous. I I was attacking, but I got nervous, um, that the guy was going to pass my guard. So I got a couple arm locks, a couple of really nice attacks, but I couldn't finish. And, uh, I don't believe there were advantages or anything in this tournament as early, early on. And, and so I, I just locked my guard and I, you know, had a hard time and guy almost passed, I believe, And it was a, you know, but, but I remember him saying to me, Hey man, what, what happened? Like you were the only one doing any offense. You were the one coming closer to finishing than the other guy just was on the run or trying to pass, but you were going after finishing, you know, and this, this always, uh, ring home with me. And I, he didn't have, again, it's like, he took us his time to set aside and help me after this term as a blue belt. And he, he just said, you know, hey, you, you need to feel good about that. You look good out there. You were attacking. You need to feel good about that. It's You were the one putting him on the run, not the other way around. And and uh, that always sort of r- kind of rang home with me. And and uh, and I thought that that was pretty cool. And other things, I mean, Rodrigo's generosity, again, to all the students, uh, a friend of mine and a story for him to tell uh, was uh, going to quit. And Rodrigo just took the, him aside. He was really frustrated, took him aside, gave him a private. And that changed his whole entire thought process of jujitsu. jitsu So, uh, you know, g- great people. I came around great people. And then outside of our school... You know, bigger, big influence as well. John Danaher is always a big influence on me. He watches a lot of tape and study. And that's a big influence uh, in my game and in my thought process from when we were colleagues. I even to today, I, I like to go back. I'm actually on my way back to New York soon and get to see him again and catch up with him. But uh, but outside of that, I used to study a ton of tape. So, uh, you know, Nino was a was a was an influence as far as his jiu jitsu goes Um uh, Shaolin, Leo Vieira, like all these guys, I used to watch them when they were brown and black belts in their tournaments and A. like these guys influenced me from the sporting side of jujitsu. I, I liked their jujitsu. Some of them were very dynamic and it was fun to watch. And I, and I would go and try to emulate some of the things that they were doing in my own training. So um, lots and lots of influences on my jujitsu, jitsu And, uh, you know, just I, I feel like I was extremely fortunate coming up uh when I did and who I was under but um a lot of influences Yeah just touching a little bit more what it was like to you know, come up with these guys like Matt and Ricardo and John and Rodrigo and and H- H- Enzo and having visitors like Half and and Hain and all these high level guys Nino and Holeta and you know, and and, you know the, oh I I don't think words can describe it I I we trained in that environment we trained like uh, animals. But technical animals, I guess, because Hansel was always making sure the technique was there. But we battled day in day out. I got my butt handed to me. I mean, let's let's not uh, uh, have delusions of grandeur. L- listen to the names that are in there. But but it but it made us super good. I mean, you know, the guys were battling with each other. You know, they were making each other better. Those guys were beating us up and making us better. And uh, and I say beating us up, not like in the literal sense, because they were always. Uh, very helpful but but i don't even know if you can describe those days it, it's it literally was a who's who uh, on the mat and um everybody was evolving so fast jiu jitsu was evolving so fast and uh you know it's just a it's just an honor to be around at that time I i consider i always say i consider myself one of the luckiest guys in jiu jitsu to have that atmosphere to to train in, learn from and uh carry forward those are going to be some of the moments that I'll I'll never ever forget, um, and that are in my heart, uh, you know, until the day I'm <laughs> I'm underground. So you know, I just uh, super lucky uh, to have those guys um, to learn and train with. Yeah, during that time, uh, that's when the the Williams Guard it was never even called the Williams Guard. I think uh, uh, I think actually John Danner called it that just to give it a name. Um, but um, but. Uh, you know that's when it developed, and you know a lot of stuff developed then. Um, and the reason why it developed is because it had to. You know, necessity is the mother of invention. I mean, if you've got guys training like that, and you are not doing new creative stuff or or versions of other things. Uh, to, to help your ability or help sweep or help finish or help hold someone well you know it's gonna be a long day um, that that position came about because I saw Nino Nino came to the academy he was super flexible of course and he was just bringing his feet right over his face and umaplotting, you know getting the plot on almost everybody um, and so I I took that I said wow that's working for him I'm gonna start trying this I have good flexibility that way and I started doing it but what happened is that Rodrigo Gracie was training for a fight, and one of the guys that were training with him had no shirt, just a tank top, so the sh- his shoulders and his upper back were sweaty, and we were doing round robins, I remember, and I was trying to pull my foot over his face, and he would just literally stand up and slide out, and um, I'm, I started to get really frustrated, As you know, dang, he's sl- sliding out of this by mistake, I put my hand under my knee. So, you know, we, I pulled my my foot up to my face. Then I put my hand underneath my knee to hold his shoulder down. And he tried to jerk out and boom, I, I was able to maintain the position, get the omoplata and continue. And that was, I was like, wow, hey, that helped hold his shoulder in. And so then I just, it just started. And I started then putting my hand under my knee uh, all the time and started getting more and more omoplata. And you know then, of course, your training partners evolved. So, as soon as the hand started coming under the knee, you know, my training partners would just drive their head over mine and then nothing. You know, then I would get nothing. And then that's when the frame came about. The frame was uh, a byproduct of all my training partners countering me and countering my moves and putting their head over mine and stacking me and nothing. So, then the frame started to let them, the, the angle stay put. Then an arm lock. The far arm lock came. That was the very first finish that came out. Then all these other things started coming and coming and coming. And then I ran it by Hensel. When I was successful at it, I said, hey, ah, do you think I have anything here? It's working for me on high-level guys. And, uh, you know, we looked at it and he said, yeah, it's working. It's working great. So, yeah. they said, I keep, So I kept developing it. And and that's, then it is what it is today, you know. So, um it came about by strictly mistake. A lot of uh, there were several moves that came, that uh, that came about by mistake. You know, it's the I know I wasn't the only one making moves at that time. It was a really uh, good time for us in in that academy and for jujitsu. And you know, I had a couple of other sweeps that that I made and you know just grippy stuff. And so there were a lot of stuff going on at that time. It's just uh, because you had to. I think the strengths and the applications, you know, of the Williams guard. Um, it's it's a guard. It's a form of guard, right? It's a form of guard that you're able to isolate an arm uh, and make a frame uh, to frame out your opponent's head. to To really, the goal of that frame is to keep an angle between you and your opponent so that they cannot get their head directly over yours and then stand up and pull out. That's that's typically what can happen if that angle isn't guarded right it's not kept that there's no angle person can get their head right over theirs stand up and and then what will happen is they'll stand up and pull out and then when they pull out the omoplata is coming but the problem with an plata, when someone is standing up and your knees are over your face you just get shaken off then that's kind of one of the, the the downsides of what can happen if you don't keep that angle so you know, I think that the strength is it keeps its angle. It is it is applicable when it's sweaty. Uh, every move starts to become harder and harder as far as holding someone when they get sweaty, but it's definitely applicable in MMA. I see it from time to time. I don't see it used uh, immensely in MMA, um, but it is a it definitely is applicable. It keeps, a, keeps a, your opponent very tight, and, and definitely you're going to avoid getting hit if that's the application that you want it for. Um, but, uh, but yeah, you you can use it in MMA, jujitsu, and, uh, in a wide variety of, of things. Yeah, you know, getting to commentate and do some of the, uh, You know, the technical commentary for for a lot of the events out there. Uh, It's a blast. And definitely the sport is evolving. You know, I, I love working, uh, with everyone I've worked for, you know, I, I really have to give a lot of props to Budo videos. Um, they're close personal friends of mine and they, you know, they, they brought me into that world and, um, can't thank them enough. And can, I look forward to continually working with them, um, because they are very good friends of mine, but, you know, through, throughout our years, we've seen, that evolution of of jujitsu, jujitsu has always been evolving. But yeah, we're we're seeing so many more different, uh, new school, I guess you could say, uh, techniques like barambolo, Even though barambolo was around, but it wasn't. I don't think it was around like it is today. Um, it was there, but now a lot of people use it. Um, lapel guards like the worm guard, and so forth, and so on, and you know different things like that. Um, you know, my my take on jujitsu in general is that it's split. It's really starting to split, and it it's not a bad thing nor a good thing. I my opinion on my when I'm training my students is simply this: whatever is going to float your boat, so to speak, whatever you fancy, do it do it because really when you're talking about a jiu-jitsu player and you're talking about a blue belt, purple belt, anyone who grapples on a regular basis, when if you're talking about a street fight, most likely if they have the ability to wrestle or drag someone to the floor or find themselves on the floor, they're going to be good enough at the basics of jiu-jitsu to defend themselves in a street fight. Most of the time I would say that that's pretty safe to say. Jiu-jitsu is a pretty a much it's an amazing art. And even a person with six months, a year of of training consistently is is going to most likely be able to defend themselves. So I don't I don't view uh, the new things as positive or negative. And I think that negative and positive views are all relative to the environment in which they serve. So if we're talking about are you is this going to be a spectator sport? Now that's a whole another that's a whole another genre here, right? Okay, jujitsu. Ten minutes. Spectator sport. Two guys sitting on their butts, uh, trying to do barambolo back and forth. Not very exciting. However, IBJJF has definitely done its job of resolving that by putting in different penalties and you know different things like that. So they they're they're doing a fair job on their end to try to make things more exciting. Um, And I guess if we're looking at the techniques of barambolo, lapel guards, worm guards, different things like that, you just got to ask yourself, what type of jujitsu do you want? Do you want to go fight MMA? Is that what your goal is? If your goal is to fight mixed martial arts, then Barambolo is not where you need to spend your time. Um, you need to spend your time doing shoot box wrestling, the, the basics of jujitsu. If you want some, you know, fun, fun jujitsu for MMA, watch Damian Mai, that guy puts it together. So pretty much like no one in the, in the, in the sport at, and the UFC level, like He's pretty amazing. How he puts some pretty cool jujitsu into his MMA. Um, but uh, you know, those things are, are going to become less of your training. Now, do you need them? No. Do you want? Do you do them to give your mind a mental break? Sure. Another. Thing we you really get into is what are you? Another reason why you're using your jiu jitsu? Um, do you use it? Are you going to be an instructor? Well, that's a whole nother bank, another uh, different game here. If you're going to be an instructor, well, guess what? You've got the responsibility of of playing with that stuff. You've got to learn it for your students. You have to go and dive into it and uh, see what makes sense, see what doesn't make sense, so that when your instructors come and ask you a question, or excuse me, when your students come and ask you a question. Hey, how do you do the barambolo? You can give them an appropriate answer, you know. So instructors should be paying attention to these new things, studying them, and playing around with them. They don't have to be your specialty, but you should play around with them, see how they feel, um, get some of the different movement vari- uh, variations down, and 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 that's for your student. It's not for you. It's for your student, even if you don't like the game. I, you know, you do it for your student. So uh, again, positive and negative all relative to the environment in which they serve. Um, if you're talking about Worm Guard, obviously MMA, you're not going to want to do that. You're going to get punched in the face repeatedly. So uh, those things are, are not going to serve you well. But you're talking about reverse daily Worm. I mean, look at how how, how Keenan was super successful a couple years ago with that. Obviously not a bad game for for sport to play. It makes your opponent react to different ways it slows the game down and it can be a very very aggressive uh, sweeping and potentially finishing game so um, I choose to not look at those things like that positive or negatively I choose to look at uh, again the environment in which they serve and is it the right tool for the right job and then I think you get your answer whether whether that's something that you want to dig into or something that you want to eh, avoid and say for the day that you train super light and it's your day off basically Yeah, I I like I kind of mentioned. I think jujitsu st- seems to be stemming and evolving in a couple different directions. You know, there's the sport with the gi and and then there's an MMA style and then there's a no which is sort of more like no gi, I guess, with, you know, heel hooks involved and and then there's a there's the no rules submission only which is sort of its own evolution as well because there tends you know the reason why I think that's so much different than MMA is because there's a lot of sitting down and playing butterfly guard to lift get to you know you're trying to lift up underneath because the, the leg attacks are strong from there and it can wear somebody out but you know obviously uh, in MMA you've got a clinch before you can just sit down and sometimes sitting down isn't necessarily your your best option depending on at what part of the fight it is and if you're not able to get underneath somebody so um, like I, I think that is sort of splitting up a little bit. Um, if 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 the BJJ community or the the competitions would uh, put me in charge to change the rules, what would I think is best? Um, you know, that's a tough one. But uh, you know, I I like. I like sort of a blending of all the rules. For the Gi, I like Abu Dhabi Pro rules. I like the six-minute matches. I I think that guys can go hard for six minutes. I think six, seven minutes, you can go hard. And if, if the referees, in a perfect world, look, referees have a hard job. They make uh, decisions that not everybody's going to want to agree with. And, of course, there's some bad refereeing out there for sure. Um, but... Uh, You know, they they have a tough job. Uh, But if the referees are well-trained, stalling is a big deal. Um, As long as the referee knows when stalling is stalling and not uh, advancement, um, then, yeah, you need to, I think stalling needs to be a very big part of the game. But the problem with the Gi is there's so many grips that sometimes, you know, a guy passing guard, for instance, my good friend Kenny Florian just fought uh, his first grappling match back after a layoff and I saw the I saw it and I have no idea how he how the other guy won um and I, I know how he won he got uh, Kenny got two stalling calls and then um and then grabbed inside the 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 guy's pants and was get the other guy was given two points for you know the third uh, penalty so the guy literally won a match without doing one single thing that he actually scored on they were all they were all negatives uh, on Kenny's part, so you know, and that's kind of a shame. So I, what I would say is, the shorter time limits make make it definitely more exciting. I think that that's fun for people to watch. Um, I think as far as points go, you know, something like that needs to be looked at. I mean, obviously, can a guy win if he never scores any points just because? Maybe I'm getting uh, you know passivity calls, and that's that's got to be uh, by good judgment of the referee. Um, if you are trying to pass and you can't pass because the guy's got good grips, I mean, what else can you do? You're, you you got to be going for it. That's all you can do. You can if a guy has very very good grips and you're freeing your grips, that's not that's not necessarily stalling. But can you win without scoring any points slash advantages on your own? that's a tough one and i don't think you should be able to win unless you do something that scores an advantage unless you put real points on the board so you know this 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 could be a cool rule you know and um Again, unless your opponent does something completely ridiculous, is like you know, and gets dequeued, fine, disqualify somebody playing that are not playing by the rules. That's one thing, but for passivity or that's that's arguable. Then I think you got to be careful about giving a, a match away if the guy actually never scored any points. Um, another thing I think I would change, and it's just my. Love of well-rounded grapplers is if someone pulls guard, I think they go down by two potentially. Um, There are there are all sorts of you can argue rules left and right and left and right and left and right. But but, um, you know, and and again, rules are going to dictate who wins in that particular contest. Um, and also, what are you defining the rules for? Are they for Are they for trying to make Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu more of a fighting art? Are they trying to make Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu more spectator sport and more fun? I think these things all have, you have to take in account into everything when you're making rules. And that's why, you know what, to be honest, the, 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 all the different competitions, it's amazing, it's awesome. It's better for us. There's so many different competitions with different rules. It's great because you get the guys that like those specific rules or excel in those different rules or no rules. And or lack of or fewer rules, um, and and we get to see different guys shine. So it's you know, and it's great. You can see some crossover. That's really cool. So, but in general, short. In my opinion, short matches um, don't allow guys just to sit down without getting penalized because that sort of evens the score a little bit if they sit down. And now the onus is on them not to just sit there and attack. Of course, if they have legitimately good attacks, that's that's one thing. Um, but if they're just sitting there and really not much is going on then you know ma- make them score to get back to the top or make that happen reward a little bit of of the the grappling on the feet aspect because if i if i'm outclassed as a wrestler or outclassed as a as a judoka and i just sit down well that might be that guy's strong suit and i know we're in a jiu-jitsu competition but that is part of jiu-jitsu when you sign up for mma and you're going to use your jiu-jitsu part you don't just get to sit down all the time. So I, th- I think it's kind of cool if we could somehow figure out how to reward the stand-up part a little bit. Um, I don't know how many people know the rules really, really well, but there's definitely like in, in Jeff, for instance, this is, a, this is a rule that everyone should know. If I go out, I have to make grips now to sit down. That's fine. I make my grips. I sit down. I pull guard and I am stay. I'm shin-to-shin guard and I come up from shin-to-shin on a single leg If I have your single leg, you cannot score on me, period. You can throw me with the best Uchimata in the history of grappling and you won't score. So, But me, if I put you down, I'm scoring too. So things like that are... There are little weaknesses that people can really play, and of course, um, you know it just behooves people to know all of the rules. The better, the more informed you are, the better you're gonna do in in the competition game, Um, because you can play little gaps like that, or you can be, you can play those strengths and weaknesses of the rules. But anyway. Yeah, beating around a bush. Shorter time limits. I love the submission, so I think at black, if there was a black belt professional level league um, or professional division that you could enter, uh, then you put the heel hooks back in uh, with the gi. Maybe you you take heel hooks out just because it is a very difficult task to get out of heel hooks. But I, let leg reaping back in. Let that in if there's especially if there's a black belt pro division uh, with the gi. Let them leg reap just you know, maybe the heel hooks stay out, but in Nogi put the heel hooks in on IBJJF, put the heel hooks in. make a different division that, that separates, you know, the 18 to 30 year olds, uh, pros versus, you know, the guys that just want to do this to compete. Um, that, that allows heel hooks to be in and people know like, Hey, there's a heel hook in here. Uh, I know that I'm going to tap or whatever. And that, that kind of lets the tournament game get back to, uh, keeping it pretty wide open. adding to potentially to the no time limit or the, like the sub only. Um, you know what? EBI is doing a great job. Uh, they they are doing a great job of, of getting getting some sort of overtime criteria to to promote a winner. Um, I think Polaris, the, the last Polaris, the matches were freaking exciting. Like I, they were exciting. Um, I, I think having a draw at the end uh, sometimes that's a little bit of a dang draw like you know uh, a lot of hard work goes into to training to get a draw it's I think it's a little anticlimactic not only for for an athlete but for you know the spectators you know in most of those matches I think we know who won and I don't like decisions either Um, but uh, you know I, but I will say the matches were off the charts. They were very exciting. So they, they were unlike um, some of the other like 20-minute time limits where just nothing happens, and then there's a draw. I don't like that kind of stuff. So And I don't think the fans like that kind of stuff. Um, but uh, Polaris, my hat's off to you. I don't know what you guys did behind the scenes, but you made some really exciting fights, even if they did end in a draw. I think people were really going for it. So that was that was very cool to see. You know, some things that I think the advice that I'd give for people out there, you know, every level of experience, you're going to have different things that you go through. You're going to, I'd say the main sort of, probably the main thing is you are going to have some of the worst days that you have in training, they're going to happen. You're going to get smashed. You're going to get hurt. You're going to get injured. I'm just coming back from a huge one now. It's almost been six months. Uh, I've trained probably 10 times in six months, but you're going to have all of these things happen. You're going to have the valleys. So there are going to be peaks and valleys, peaks and valleys in your training. And I think one of the things that always got me through all of those peaks and valleys were a commitment just to be better it wasn't it was never like i want to get my black belt today or i want to have a yeah those things motivate you for me yeah goals, belts and goals motivate me uh they motivated me through the past but they weren't what i was really going for um and that that's fine if it is if it's a belt that you're going for that's fine but you've got to make the commitment that you just want to get better. You want to be the best version of yourself day in and day out, on and off the mats, and everything will take care of itself. If I'm training hard and I don't care, I obviously do care if I get finished in training, it bothers me. I don't like to lose, but if that's If I look at that as motivation to think about what happened, solve the problems of that day, and then come back and learn and try to adjust, make those adjustments in my training. I have to educate myself. I have to take responsibility for my training. I can't just go, oh, it's my coach's fault uh, that I, I don't know how to do an arm lock defense. If I got arm lock, I don't know how to do that. Well, you take responsibility in your own training Use what happens every single day in training and in competitions as a a way to make yourself better. You get feedback every single day in training. There is constant feedback. Every time I roll with my training partner... There is feedback. It's not verbal feedback. Might be by your coach, but it's feedback. Um, that guard pass didn't work. Feedback. Uh, I, that sweep worked brilliantly. Feedback. What am I doing? What did I do to set that sweep up? Or how am I? Or how am I doing that sweep that made it work so well? Or you know, if your sweep is working well, it's just you don't even have to answer those questions. The feedback is in, it's the proof in the pudding. I got a sumigeshi from butterfly guard to work today. Feedback. Oh, wow. I'm doing things right. Right. Am I, I'm doing things right on the white belts. I'm doing things right on the blue, but the purple belt level, I have a hard time. Why do I have a hard time? Geez, maybe I'm not flexing my foot up and pointed to the corner of the room on my sumo sweep. Something like this, something little, but you get feedback every single day that you train and it's up to you to take the responsibility to use it and make yourself better. I think If you focused on just getting better and training in, training day in, day out and making yourself the best version of yourself and committing everything while you're in the school and while you're on the mats, um, you'll get better. Everything will just fall into place. and I think that that's a big one. I think sometimes we look at outside factors as the reason why we're not getting better, or outside factors of, oh yeah, that or this. As, as human beings, you know, we might we might like to bitch about things that are happening outside, or oh boy, this guy's getting special attention. Well, you know, take the responsibility. You have a responsibility um, as a jujitsu practitioner to be the best best version of yourself. And just train and appreciate your training partners, appreciate your coach and your instructors, and appreciate the mat that you train on. Um, obviously, if it's a crap atmosphere, if the atmosphere is dangerous or hazardous, leave and go to somewhere that you enjoy. So I, I think that those things can can really help um, put things in perspective and, and allow it to be a more enjoyable Uh, process we all have the the valleys um but you know the the peaks in jujitsu uh far outweigh those valleys so as long as you don't beat yourself up about it um you know, tips on training. Tips on training I, I think go into that. I, I you gotta train intelligently. Um, depending on what you're training for. If you're training for a tournament, of course you have to you have to put in your hard training. I mean, guys train hours and hours a day. I, I used to train six, eight hours a day. No joke, that's not an exaggeration. I used to train six, eight hours a day. And if you're not doing that at the competitive level, um, and you're not getting the results that you want, well then you've got to ask yourself, are you are you really putting in the time that you need? need? Uh, to train so depending on what you're training for um, would be would be that type of tip Uh, competition train you have to train hard you've got to put in your drilling you've got to put in your hard training you've got to have your nutrition Um, but uh, training for a hobby completely different thing then it's got to be more enjoyable uh, as far as I want to train with my training partners and with my teammates. I don't necessarily need to bake it about myself. I want to train um, to get the most out of who I have on the mat. Um, and, you know, your training partners can be anyone. If you're training intelligently, you can learn from anybody. Black belt can train with a white belt and get better. Um, so that, that's important. So I think it, it depends on what point of your training that you're in and what are you training for. Um, generally, what I like to say at my school, um, especially if we're not training for a competition, is, is train to the level of your training partner. You know, If they escalate, then you get to escalate. If they escalate, you escalate. You guys can be training harder. I also <laughs> like to say we're, we have the ability to communicate. So before training, communicate what you want from your training and communicate with your training partner exactly how you want to train. One of my favorite memes is the, the the little kid that says he said go light and we went hard and it's a little kid grinning. Um, because in and and typically, you know, that's that's common, right? So I, I think that good communication in the beginning, hey, especially when there's no gi, right? Or hey, I, hey listen, you know what? I've got an injured right shoulder. I am not gonna really use my, my right arm today. I'm gonna keep it at my waist. Please don't attack it, blah, blah, blah. And then of course, communicate when you're training. And then if I communicate one thing, I have to give my training partner the respect to stay at that uh, or stay with that Uh, communication so if I say my right arms hurt and I'm not going to use my right arm I'm going to keep it at my belt and I'm going to play one-handed guard or whatever and then all of a sudden mid roll I'm already using my right arm full force well then that's you know I'm not sticking to what I said I was going to do so communicate in the beginning oh can we do I you know in my my school when on no gi days uh my 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 students go hey uh can I I want to do heel hooks do you want to do are you comfortable dealing, d- d- doing heel hooks yes or no okay no problem if they are great both guys get to do heel hooks if not no problem hey no worries I got to work on other things I, I'm not going to put somebody in an uncomfortable environment and my training partner I don't want him to be uncomfortable I want him to have a, a fun a good role and know what it is that he is def- how it to defend himself in an appropriate situation so you know that hopefully hopefully those those rambling tips uh, will, will help quite a bit Yeah, I'm working on a couple of different things. Actually, I just uh, recently um, launched my blog, uh, and it's it's kind of a combination of blog and sort of some news. I've got a few friends uh, helping me out there. They're gonna put some news from time to time, and then I'm gonna start blogging about more interesting articles, just kind of what we're talking about right now. Some some tips and techniques um, that I see around the world uh, of jujitsu, and you know, tips on how to hopefully train, make training you know, a better experience for those um, that might be looking for that type of information. So you can find it on SeanWilliamsBJJ.com. Um, there'll be some some interesting articles on uh, physical therapy. Uh, I have a friend uh, of mine that's a physical therapist, so we're going to be working on some articles on that. And you know, just just trying to help people learn, help keep, keep people keep uh, that learning going, and and help make jujitsu more fun and MMA more fun. I'm I have a huge interest in mixed martial arts, not you know besides jujitsu. So Uh, there'll be MMA tips on there and techniques. And so yeah, we'll just have some fun with that. And and, uh, we'll be posting a few articles a week. Nothing, nothing super crazy at this point, because I I do have uh, uh, quite a bit going on with the school and, and, uh, and having fun there with my students. So so that's the that's the newest thing uh, that's uh, right now, and then uh, down the pipe, I I do have a technique site uh, that I've been working on for a very long time. Some some ups and downs on that, but I'm uh, keeping my nose to the grindstone, and and hopefully in the next month or two, we'll be launching a beta version, and I'll be uh, getting some people involved in that who would ever want to uh, get involved in that and and try the site out and and see how they like it and get some feedback uh, from them. So you know that's uh, pretty much what i've got going on at this moment inside um always looking to continue my my education by watching the the competitions around the world and um looking for always for new ways to do old things or looking to see new ways to do new things you know anything i can learn and share with the the community is uh is always a blessing and uh it's always good for me too so I, uh, um, like I said before I'm addicted to learning so it's, it's part of who I am and uh, I'm going to continue to do that uh, as, as long as I can so uh, it's been a real pleasure uh, here with you uh, Mark and uh, you know thanks for the time and uh, thanks for the opportunity um, I hope uh, I always hope going away from something that something that somebody gets one cool thing out of out of any article that they read to get themselves to make themselves better or or just like, hey, hey, have a better day or whatnot. But um, anything. Anyway, uh, thanks again. And I, I appreciate it.